Amen. You may be seated. We live in a restless world, don't we? New York City has been called the city that doesn't sleep. But the truth is, is that our generation could be called the generation that doesn't sleep. According to the American Sleep Association, one in three Americans struggle with insomnia. More than one in ten struggle with what would be called chronic insomnia. And the two most common reasons for insomnia, the two most common reasons for the sleeplessness of our society are anxiety and depression. You see, what we understand is that our insomnia is but a symptom of a grander problem. That the weariness of our eyes are symptoms of a racing heart and a restless mind. I wonder why you're tired this morning. I wonder what's keeping you up at night. Are you worried about children that are fixing to leave the nest? Are you worried about a husband or a wife or a marriage that seems like it's on the verge of collapse every single day? Are you wondering why it is that nobody wants to marry you or why it is that you're so lonely? Why is it that your heart is restless? Why is it that your heart is racing today? See, the truth is, as we all know, that it's more than a good night's sleep. And it's more than being able to look in the mirror or whatever all that stuff is. We know that the restlessness in our lives goes to the immaterial part of us that's deep in our bones, deep in our souls. And maybe in the midst of your exhaustion this morning, you would wonder what so many wonder. Is rest really even possible? True rest. Sincere rest. The kind of rest that brings contentment and peace and satisfaction in your life. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 11. Where we see Jesus, uh, Jesus speak to just that. Matthew chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 25. If you would stand with me. As we read God's word together. Matthew 11, we're beginning in verse 25. God's word says, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Listen to this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. You may be seated. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus extends to us the most gracious and glorious invitation that could ever be extended to us. Jesus looks at us. He looks at those that are there that day, speaking to us still today. And he says, come to me. Come to me. 
Come to me and find rest. Come to me and find rest for your weary bones. Come to me and find the antidote to your exhaustion. Come to me so that you might have the restlessness in your soul resolved. Come to me. The first thing that's striking to me about Jesus' invitation is to whom he is inviting. To whom is it it is addressed? Who is it that Jesus is inviting to come? He issues a general call, a broad call that is encompassing to all people. But he gives this clarification. All you who are weary. All you you who are heavy laden. Jesus is not calling the self-sufficient. Jesus is not calling the self-assured. Jesus is not calling those that feel like they have the the world by the tail. He is not calling those that think they have life figured out. No, Jesus is calling the opposite. Jesus said, are you tired? Are you worn down? Are you worn out? Are you exhausted? exhausted? Do you feel like there's a weight on your chest? Do you feel like there's, there's always a monkey on your back? Like, you come to me. Come to me. See, some of you are that way this morning. Some of you, you have been pushing your wheelbarrow full of burdens for so long that you don't know how you're going to take one more step. Some of you this morning are gasping for for air beneath the pile of rocks that has become your life. If that's you, if this morning you might say, I am at the end of my rope. I don't know how I can take one more step. I don't know how I can go one more day. All I know is that I can't do this anymore. I can't fix this. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. You are exactly the kind of person that verse 25 says God reveals himself to. You are exactly the kind of person that Jesus makes himself known to. That if you are at the end of the rope and you have hit rock bottom in your life and the only thing you know to do is just to look up because you have no other choice, you are the person that Christ is beckoning here. You are the person that Jesus is pleading with, entreating, saying, come to me. Come to me. Come to me and be rested. He says in verse 25, he talks about, he has revealed them to little children. Little children. The word there, little children, is actually speaking not even of like a toddler, but of an infant. It, It could literally be translated as a babe in arms. So the picture here are those that would come to Christ with like an infantile dependence upon Christ. That literally they are dependent upon Christ for their very survival. They are dependent upon Christ for any meal that they have, any protection that they have, any nurture that they have. That they are totally dependent upon Jesus. That's the picture of an infant, right? Infants have an unashamed dependence. Have you ever noticed that? They aren't worried about what you think of them. They aren't aren't worried about your opinion. They aren't worried about your standards. They aren't worried about even your busyness in life. They aren't worried about any of that stuff. They are unashamedly dependent upon their parents. And so when the baby cries, we got one of these in my house, and she cries loud, and she cries often, and she cries early every morning, right? And she cries when she's hungry, and she says, Cry, you know, Dad, I'm hungry. Hey, I'm hungry. Food, food, food. I need to be changed. Hey, hell, come on, come on. 
I don't care that you got Easter service coming up and that's like the biggest day for a preacher. Somebody's holding me right now. You know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all got, infant, y'all got little infants in your house. I see those big dreary eyes. Insomnia is based on that baby, isn't it? But there's this unashamed, unashamedness that she has, this, this unashamed dependence that she has upon me and my wife, where she just says, Mom, Dad, I, I don't care, just take care of me. Take care of me. And so there's a sense in which she is utterly dependent, but you know there's a sense in which she is utterly free. Have you ever seen a baby worried about something? Are babies staying up at night wondering about the mortgage? Are babies staying up at night worried about the power bill? Are babies staying up at night worried about what people are thinking of them and their various relationships? No. You keep the baby changed, you keep the baby fed, the baby sleeps. The baby is at peace. That there's an utter dependence, an unashamed dependence, but at the same time, there is an utter freedom. This is what Christ is offering to us this morning. This is what Christ is offering to us. That if we will come to him with an unashamed dependence, if we will come to him with an utter dependence, saying, I can live and die as you allow me to do it. I will eat when you allow me to eat. I will go when you allow me to go. I will do what you allow me to do. I am dependent upon you for my survival. That at the same time, Christ liberates us. He liberates us from our anxiety. He liberates us from our fearfulness. He liberates us from our restlessness by saying, then you don't have anything else to worry about. I'm going to take care of you. He says, come to me. Come to me and depend on me. Come to me and be with me. Come to me and let me care for you. Come to me and let me bear your burdens. Come to me and let me strip all the anxieties from your life. Come to me. But There's another person that verse 25 speaks to. And it's really a terrifying scenario. Jesus said that, he, that the Father is revealed to them that come as child, children, right? That, that the childlike, the infant-like. But it said that he is hidden, hidden from those that are wise and learned or wise and understanding. That is that God actively hides himself from those that see themselves as wise, that see themselves as learned, that see themselves as understanding. See, Jesus here is not saying that he doesn't love people that have college education. Jesus here is not speaking out against education. What Jesus is speaking out against here is Jesus is speaking out against pride, about about self-assuredness, about self-sufficiency. The kind of person that says, you know, I've always just kind of made my own way. I've kind of always figured things out the best that I could, did the best I could in that moment. I did whatever seemed wise to me in that moment, and that just has to be good enough. This is exactly the kind of person that Jesus is talking about. The kind of person that says, I don't need help. I'm sufficient in and of myself. I'll pick myself up by my bootstraps. I've got enough willpower to overcome all of my own struggles. When life knocks me down, I'll get myself back up. I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-assured. And it says that God actively hides himself from them. Think about that for a second. That God would be hidden from you. Hidden. Peter says it another way. He says that God opposes the proud. That not only does God actively hide himself from the proud, but that God actively opposes him to those 
who are proud. I wonder how many of you this morning have lived your life that way. I wonder how many of you this morning have lived your life by your own wisdom and by your own good name and by according to your own good works. I wonder how many of you have lived your whole life just doing what was wise in your own eyes. Israel was condemned for such words. You see, there is a proverb, Proverb 14, 12, that I think sums this up well. And it says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its way, is, its end is the way to death. That there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. That you can live your whole life doing what you think is right, doing what you think is wise, doing what seems good to you in the moment. And what you will find is ultimate and final destruction. Because your heart is desperately wicked. Your heart deceives you. And if this morning you believe that you are wise enough and you are strong enough and you are good enough to live according to your own wisdom and your own good name... You are deceived. This morning I ask you, I beckon you, I plead with you, examine your heart. Look closely at yourself. Look closely at your life. Do you really believe that you're that strong? Could it be that this morning you are deceived? If this morning you might say, I've just got life. Like Life's not hard for me. Life's not bad for me. Life's not difficult for me. There's not restlessness in my soul. I would ask you the same thing that God asked Job in Job 38. Where were you when God built the world? Where were you when God sunk the foundations of the earth? Were you his advisor? Were you his counselor? Were you wise enough to build the water cycle? Are you the master architect and engineer that can put together and handcraft a human being? In your independence, you are deceived. See, this is exactly what Jesus has come to give us rest from. Jesus has come to give us rest from this kind of independence. Jesus has come to give us rest from the burden of our own wisdom. Jesus has come to give us rest from the burden of living out and having to live out our lives under our own self-sufficiency. This is what Christ has come to do. He has come to, to undo the way of the Pharisee. See, the Pharisees were this group of people in the Bible that believed that that they could follow enough rules and do enough good things and not do enough bad things that they would win God's approval and they would win God's favor and they would somehow be able to earn themselves up to a place to where by their good works, God would look down and be proud of them and say, man, I am glad you're with me. I am glad you're on my team. But see, the way of the Pharisees is oppressive. The way of the Pharisees is destructive. The way of the Pharisees will kill your soul. Because you know what it says? Every single day, in every single way, in every single relationship, you have to measure up. You have to measure up. And so, having to constantly measure up, you end up having to live this life of perfectionism. Of perfectionism. Some of you are there. Some of you are there. Regardless of who you're around, you feel like you've always got to measure up to what their expectations of you are. So you're, you're at home with your wife and, or your husband, and you have to try to be perfect. You have to try to measure up to who they want you to be. 
You're with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And it's the same thing. You have to put on your perfect face and have your perfect clothes so that you can go and project perfection. You go to the people that you work with and you have to be perfect. You go and hang out with your friends that you play golf with and you have to be perfect. Everywhere you go, you have to be perfect. And then you bring that same attitude into your relationship with God. That God, I've got to do enough good things and not do enough bad things so that you will look down on me and find favor with me and give me the bass boat that I want and then allow me to go to heaven with you when I die. And you know what you've found is it is soul crushing. You're living your life according to the law, and the law will break your back. A human being trying to live out the full extent of the law is like a moped trying to drag a tank. Like, you just can't do it. You don't have the strength. You don't have the ability. That's why Christ came. That's why Christ came. Christ came so that you can stop having to try to measure up all the time. To live your life trying to measure up is like swimming in quicksand, isn't it? The harder you fight and the harder you swim, the deeper you go until eventually you're buried and you're smothered. That's why you're exhausted. You're exhausted because not only do you have to maintain all of these different standards, not only do you have to measure up to all of these different relationships in all of these different ways, and then there's all the guilt in your mind because you're not measuring up that you, you end up having to be a different person to everybody that you meet. You know why that's burdensome? Because you're not perfect. And if you're living a life of perfectionism, if you're living a life based on a that standard, on your own strength, on your own power, it will crush you. I wonder how many of you think the same things of God that the Mormons think. I wonder how many of you have the same view of God that the Mormons have. If you were to fly into Salt Lake City, Utah today, you would fly into a state that is 70% Mormon. And what the Mormons believe is they believe that if, you, if, if the Lord loves you, life will look right. And so you go there, and there will be the most pristine yards and pristine lawns that you have ever laid your eyes upon. There will be the most beautiful flowers that you have ever seen before. All of the women, none of them leave the house without their makeup on. Plastic surgery in, uh, industry is through the roof there. All of the men wear, uh, drive luxury cars and wear uh, perfectly tailored suits, projecting this image of perfection, projecting perfectionism. Why? If they aren't, God won't let them in their VIP club. If they aren't, God won't welcome them into heaven. But you know what I know the, the truth of it is? That there are two different studies, two different credible studies that say, number one, Utah is the most depressed state in the union. And number two, Utah is the most heavily medicated state in the union. You see, you can be the perfect picture of health on the outside and be filled with malignant tumors on the inside. You can have an outer shell that looks beautiful and vibrant and healthy and be filled with death. Because Jesus says that the Pharisees are like whitewashed tombs that are beautiful on the outside but inside are filled with dead bones. If your life, if you feel like your life is summed up into a huge list of do's and don'ts, it's going to kill you. 
It's miserable. It's purposeless. If you believe that life can be summed up and by not crossing over some cosmic line in the sand, your soul will be crushed. This is not who Jesus is. And this is not who Jesus came to be. This is not why Jesus is calling us to come today. Jesus is not calling us so that we might follow the rules better. Jesus is not calling us so that we might clean up our act. Jesus is not calling us so that we can try to get stronger and figure all of this out. Listen to me. Some of you I know are here not by your choice. I know that. There are men here that were drugged here this morning because it's easier by your wife. And there are teenagers that are here and you are only here because your parents make you come here. There are people perhaps that are skeptical of this whole Christian faith and you wonder why it is that we have to be here. And you wonder why it is that we got to come and hear about all the rules that we're not following right. Listen, before you reject Jesus, you you can reject him. That is your God-given prerogative. You can reject Christ. But before you reject him, make sure that you know the truth about who it is that you are rejecting. Jesus does not say, come and clean yourself up. Jesus does not say, pick yourself up and fix yourself. Jesus says, come to me and let me make you new. Come to me and let me give you rest. Come to me and let me fix you. Let me make you. Let me transform you into someone new. If our picture of God is that God looks down on the earth and he sees the HIV and he sees AIDS and he sees starving children and he sees battered wives and he sees pedophilia and he sees all the brokenness that comes with our earth. If God looks down on us and sees that and says, man, y'all got to try harder. You got to work harder. You got to do better. You got to fix this for yourself. It is no wonder people are running to atheism and agnosticism. But this is not what Christ is calling us to. Christ is saying, come to me. Come to me and let me lift this from you. Come to me and let me put the brokenness back together. Come to me and watch as I restore you and then I'm going to restore this whole creation. Come to me. Why is it that we go to Christ? We go to Christ because he is the Lord. We go to Christ because he is the master of all things. We go to Christ because he is the engineer of universes. We go to Christ because he is the only one sufficient enough for us to go to. We go to Christ because he is in control of all of this. Think about what he says in verse 28. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Who can give rest? Who can give rest to your soul as a gift? Like, who has that kind of power? Who has that kind of ability? Your boss can give you a vacation. Your wife can give you a weekend away. But they can't give you rest in your soul. They can't give you rest in your spirit. They can't fix that. But Jesus says, come, and I'm going to give you some rest. I'm going I'm I'm to calm the restlessness. I'm going to bring peace to the exhaustion. I'm going to bring contentment to the discontent. Why can he do that? Because he's the Lord. And he is the master of the physical and the spiritual, of the material and the immaterial, of the concrete and of the abstract. This is what verse 27 tells us. 
Verse 27 says, all things have been given to him by the Father. All things. All authority. Just as the Great Commission, we see this again in, verse, in, in Matthew 28. All authority has been given to Christ. That he is the one that reveals the Father or doesn't reveal the Father. He is the one that is in control of everything that we can see. And so we can rest in Christ's control. That if we will come to Christ and we will be with Christ, then Christ can bring rest to our souls because he controls all of the other stuff. He controls all of the other stuff. He controls what happens in circumstances of life. He controls how all of circumstances work together for the good of God, or for, the, for your good and for God's glory. He controls all of these things. And if Christ is in control and we are with Christ, then we are safe and we can rest. You see, all of this boils down to lordship. All of this boils down to lordship. All this boils down to who's in control or not. Is it the resurrected Christ or not? Is it the one who said what he would do and fulfill the Old Testament or not? Is he legitimate or not? Because if he is, he is the only one that can tell you that it's going to be okay and it actually be okay. He's the only one that can tell you that it's going to be okay and know for a fact that he's not telling you a lie. Because he already knows what's to come. He knew what was to come before the foundations of the earth. This world does not catch him off guard. So would you come to him? Would you come to him this morning? Would you place yourself as dependent as a child in his arms, in his grip, and say, Christ, I, I rest in your control. I rest in your sovereign power. I rest in your lordship, knowing that none of this is catching you off, of go off guard. How does Christ do this? How does he actually bring us rest? Like, so we've talked a little bit in the abstract, we've talked a little bit in the big picture, but, but how does Jesus actually tangibly do this? Verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. What is he saying? How does Christ fix it? He gives us himself. He gives us himself. He yokes us to himself. See, a yoke is like a wooden bar. They're still used very commonly throughout the world today. But it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long bar, and you use it to bind two oxen together. And by binding these two oxen together, they're able to, to share the load. They're able to, to pull together their power and, and pull ahead. And so they can pull much heavier loads than they would be able to pull otherwise. And so what Christ says is you can rest, you can have contentment in your soul, you can have satisfaction in your soul, you can have uh, rest in your life because you are bound to me. You are bound to me. You are yoked with me. If you are yoked to the master of the universe, if you are mo yo uh, yoked to the resurrected Christ, what is it that you have to be worried about? What is it that you can be should be afraid of? I think the picture is very similar to the picture of me and uh, my little girl. I've got this little three-and-a-half-year-old Gracie. Some of y'all have heard her. I mean, you probably have all heard her. You can hear her. You know, we live in Chocolock, and you can hear her if you live in Heflin. I mean, she's just got her daddy's voice. Amen. And, but she, she had these two paralyzing fears in her life. A lion and Maleficent. Now, you may not know who Maleficent is, all of you that aren't hip dads like me. 
But Maleficent is like the witch off of Sleeping Beauty. And so Gracie, in her short little three years of life, has been petrified by these two things. So much so that like, she would wake up in the middle of the night just screaming. I mean, just screaming blue murder. Like, you just don't know what you need to do. Like, you got to fix something, right? And you just raised all the hair and you like, think somebody's killing my daughter. And you go in there and you know. You know what she actually believes? She actually believes that her dad wrangled this lion and took it to the Birmingham Zoo. We went and visited him together before. He is in a pen, and baby, he ain't getting out, all right? He is locked in there. And she don't even worry about him anymore. Why? Dad took care of it. One night, she came into our room, and she was just screaming uncontrollably. And you know how it happens. Like, it's never a convenient time. It's, it's always at 3 a.m., you know? And, and it's always at that time when you're just like, I just, I, I'm just going to die. I'm just going to die. And so she runs into our room, and she's screaming, and she's hysterical, and we can't calm her down. And Megan's trying to console her, and Megan, and, and she just will not be calmed down until eventually, I'm just honestly out of exasperation. And I, don't, I hope the Lord doesn't judge you for lying to your children like this. But I, just, I, just look, I said, if Maleficent walks into this house, I will shoot her in the face with a gun. <laughs> and immediately, her whole demeanor shifted. Her whole demeanor changed, and she said, going to do what, Daddy? You see, my daughter can be hysterical. She can be petrified, terrified of what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, whether it's a lion or it's some kind of divine witch of some sort, Dad can come and can pick her up and hold her, and immediately there's rest. Immediately the crying stops. Immediately she feels safe. How much more so should we feel safe when we are bound to Christ Jesus? This is the rest that we're talking about. We're not saying that scary stuff isn't still going to be in the world. We're not saying that difficult things aren't still going to happen. We're not saying that burdens still aren't going to come. Hardship is going to come as long as we live in a Genesis 3 broken world. But what we're saying is when we are bound to Christ, our souls can rest. When we are bound to the master, nothing is out of control. When we are bound to the Savior, to the resurrected Christ, nothing can pry us from his resurrected fingers. That's what we're saying. How does Christ bring rest to our souls? He gives us himself. He yokes us to himself. See, you understand, this is not the elimination of burden. This is not the elimination of yoke. Instead, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, right? He said, there's going to be a burden, but my burden is going to be light. There's still a burden. No, this is trading yokes. This is trading a yoke of slavery for a yoke of freedom. This is trading a yoke that is fatal for a yoke that is life-giving. This is the exchange of a yoke. When Christ calls us to come, he gives us two invitations in Matthew 11. The first is to come to me, and the second is to come with me. And these always go together. They must go together. Christ says, come to me and you will find rest. Now come with me and you have rest for your souls. You're going to have rest because I'm going to be with you always. You see, when they yoked two oxen together, they would... Typically yoke a very masterful, trained, experienced ox 
with an untrained, undisciplined ox, young ox. And so being yoked together, the untrained ox could follow the lead of the trained ox so that he would eventually know what to do. This is the picture of us coming after Christ. That we have been yoked to him and now we follow him and we say, Christ, teach me what to do. I don't know where to go, I'll follow you where to go. I don't know what to do, I'll follow you on what to do. I don't know how to think, I'll follow you on how to think. God, Christ, take me wherever you go and teach me and train me. Teach me the way of the cross. See, this yoke is in the shape of a cross. And it's to say, Jesus, I'm taking your cross upon myself. I am joining you in the cross that you might show me where to go, what to do, who to be, and how to live. The only way to find rest for your soul is utter dependence upon the Christ that you are yoked to. And the more dependent you are upon Christ, the more rest you will find for your soul. You see, even as Christian people, what do we often do? We, we come to Christ as an infant, but then somewhere along the lines, we believe that we grow strong and mature enough to kind of go out on our own a little bit. And what happens? The tentacles of perfectionism come and wrap their, themselves around your throat again, don't they? The guilt comes back, doesn't it? The weightiness comes back. The exhaustion comes back. The, ex- the, the anxiety comes back. The Christian life is not about you being yoked to Christ and eventually getting strong enough to be independent and on your own. The Christian life is about you becoming increasingly more dependent every single day upon Christ so that you might know his rest even more fully and deeply. That's to follow Christ. It is not to be independent but utterly dependent. And when he says that his yoke is light, what is he talking about? I do not believe Jesus is saying his yoke is light, is lighter in its material. Here's what I mean by that. I think when you take on the cross, it is the heaviest thing that you can take on in your life. When you come to Jesus, you take on the mission of Jesus, and you take on the, the work of Jesus, and the building up of the kingdom of Jesus, and you take on, he says, the life of Jesus. Paul says that we are to share in the suffering of Jesus, that to live the Christian life is to live a a heavy life, often a difficult life, often a challenging life. Christ is not saying that is why his yoke is lighter. Instead, what Christ is saying is my yoke is not lighter in uh, material, it is lighter in experience. It is lighter not because there is no burden to it. It is lighter because he is there bearing the burden. It is lighter because you are able to carry it out not in your own strength, weakness, and inadequacy. You're able to carry it out in the blood-bought strength of the cross. You are able to carry it out in resurrection power. See, my family, when I was 10 or 11, we were moving into a new house. And my mom bought this 19th century piano. She still has it. She goes, my dad swears that that house will have that piano in it forevermore. It will never be moved again. This piano was incredibly heavy. And so it was on there, and we had like six men, six grown men. I'm talking like farm cowboy men, you know, like real men. Not guys like me that sit behind a desk, like real men. And they, they put it on the edge of the, the tailgate, and it caved the tailgate of the truck. It bent the tailgate of the truck. And so we're lifting, and I'm like 10 or 11, and I'm helping. You know what I'm saying? I'm helping. Like Gracie Kate helping us dust the house last night. Helping. You clean up after her help, right? 
But I remember I, I'm, they, all these men, I, I'm lifting and we're walking and they're all talking about how heavy it is and they're, they're crying and they're, they're whining a little bit, to be honest with you. And, and they're, they're all just bearing this burden. And I'm thinking, this ain't bad. There's nothing to this. It must be this, you know, young, virile male kind of thing I got going on here. The reason it wasn't heavy for me is because I wasn't doing the heavy lifting. I didn't get tired. I was helping bear the burden, but I didn't get tired. This is what it means to be yoked to Christ. I don't know if you come to Jesus where he's going to ask you to go. I don't know that he's not going to ask you to go and to live in Africa in utter obscurity away from your family. I don't know that Jesus isn't going to to ask you to, to forsake everything that you own and sell it and go and serve him somewhere that you've never heard of. I don't know that if you come to Jesus that he's not going to take you to Iran to be, die a martyr's death at the hands of ISIS. But what I know is that wherever you go and whatever he calls you to and wherever you follow him, the burden will be light, even if it means your life. The burden will be light. The, the joy will be full. To live a Christian life is not always to e live an easier life, but it is always to live a better life. Come to Jesus, brothers and sisters. Come to Jesus and go with him wherever he goes and allow you yourself to experience the power of being bound to the master of the universe. You see, what kind of God joins you in the yoke? What kind of master hooks the plow to himself? That's what Easter is. That's who Christ is. That's what Christ has done. He came, and knowing you were too weak, he joined you in the yoke. He died the death that you were supposed to die having lived the life you could have never lived so that he might be resurrected and give you life with him forevermore that you could have never enjoyed any other way. And today he invites you, come to me. Come to me and come with me. Come with me. I'll teach you. I'll change you. I'll love you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I have no comprehension of why.